You can't be neutral on the moving train. I told y'all before. You can't believe everything that your teacher tell you. Who was your teacher? Your teacher just learned what they was taught. How do you know what they was taught was correct? That was an excerpt from Writings on Disobedience and Democracy by Vinnie Paz. Welcome to You Can't Be Neutral, a political podcast inspired by Howard Zinn and progressive and radical activism, taking a look at society, media, and politics. If you want to reach out to me, you can find all the back episodes and a link to uh, send me a message at youcan'tbeneutral.com. This is the third episode to tackle the California Reparations Report Executive Summary. You can check out the previous two episodes for Part 1 and Part 2. And now we are at Part 3, Recommendation for a Formal Apology. 16. Recommendation for a California Apology The legislature directed the task force to recommend appropriate remedies in consideration of the task force's findings. In those recommendations, the legislature required the task force to address, among other issues, how the state of California will offer a formal apology on behalf of the people of California for the perpetration of gross human rights violations and crimes against humanity on African slaves and their descendants. Reparative apologies situate the harms of the past in society's present injustices pay tribute to victims, and encourage communal reflection to ensure the historic wrongs are never forgotten and never repeated. In 2005, the United Nations adopted General Assembly Resolution 60-147, setting forth the basic principles and guidelines on the right to a remedy and reparation for victims of gross violations of international human rights law and serious violations of international humanitarian law. The basic principles and guidelines include the principle of satisfaction. Satisfaction can include, among other things, a public apology that constitutes a quote, acknowledgement of the facts and acceptance of responsibility, judicial and administrative sanctions against perpetrators, and commemorations and tributes to the victims. Apologies alone are inadequate reparations to victims. But when combined with material forms of reparations, apologies provide an opportunity for communal reckoning with the past and repair for moral, physical, and dignitary harms. An effective apology should both acknowledge and express regret for what was done to victims and their relatives and take responsibility. Subtle differences in phrasing can denote unequivocal acceptance of responsibility for providing redress to victims and for making the changes necessary to guarantee non-repetition. An apology should also be accompanied by a request for forgiveness. A universally satisfactory apology does not exist because each victim group has unique needs. However, in 2012, the Inter-American Court of Human Rights determined that the following elements form a good apology. 1. It must be made publicly. 2. It must be made at the place where the events occurred. 3. 
it must acknowledge responsibility for the violations that have been committed. Four, it must be made in the presence and with the participation of a considerable number of survivors and next of kin. Five, it must involve the highest state authority and senior state officials. And six, it must be broadcast and disseminated fully throughout the state. The task force recommends the legislature build upon the structure of previous state apologies and conform to international standards for the principle of satisfaction. The legislature must apologize on behalf of the state of California and the people of California for the state's perpetration of gross human rights violations against Africans who were enslaved and their descendants. And the state must do so through public apology, requests for forgiveness, censure of state perpetrators, and tributes to victims. The task force recommends that the legislature formally apologize on its own behalf and on behalf of the state of California for all of the harms delineated in part one of this report and for the atrocities committed by California state actors who promoted, enforced, and facilitated the institution of chattel slavery and its ongoing legacy of systemic discrimination. The task force has found that California, its executive branch, courts, and legislature denied African Americans their fundamental liberties and denied their humanity through the state's history, from before the Civil War to the present. By participating in these horrors, California further perpetuated the harms African Americans faced, imbuing racial prejudice throughout society through segregation, public and private discrimination, and unequal disbursement of state and federal funding. The apology should also include a censure of the gravest barbarities carried out on behalf of the state by, or with the knowledge or support of, its representative officers, governing bodies, and people, as documented in this report. In addition to acknowledging the atrocities committed by the state, or which the state failed to deter or punish, the apology should also acknowledge California's responsibility to repair the harms and guarantee non-repetition. To be effective, a considerable number of survivors and their relatives should participate in the development of the apology. The task force recommends that the legislature accomplish this by establishing a program or government body such as the California American Freedmen Affairs Agency to facilitate listening sessions that allow victims and their relatives to narrate personal experiences and recount specific injustices caused by the state of California and elected and appointed officials at the state and local levels. The listening sessions should inform the language of the legislature's apology and the methods enacted by the legislature to satisfy victims. Finally, the legislature should order the commission of plaques and other commemorative tributes to secure communities' memory of the victims and the injustices as occurred in California's apology for forced sterilizations. Physical markers of past atrocities serve as reminders of the terror and harm and ensure the collective memory does not gloss over the past. Created in collaboration with stakeholders, plaques and memorials can honor survivors and raise awareness of descendants' ongoing struggle for justice. Importantly, however, the task force reminds the legislature that an apology on its own, no matter how forceful or detailed, is not enough. To have any effect under existing standards for reparations and reconciliation, the apology must take place within the same legislative effort 
that results in compensation and the enactment of policy recommendations to ensure non-repetition of the significant atrocities that would be addressed by the apology. Part 4. Methodologies for Calculating Compensation and Restitution 17. Calculations of Reparations and Forms of Compensation and Restitution in enacting AB 3121, the legislature charged a task force with recommending appropriate remedies in consideration of the task force's findings, including 1. How any form of compensation to African Americans with a special consideration for African Americans who are descendants of persons enslaved in the United States is calculated. 2. What form of compensation should be awarded through what instrumentalities and who should be eligible for such compensation? and three, how in consideration of the task force's findings, any other forms of rehabilitation or restitution to African descendants are warranted and what form and scope those measures should take. In preparing the recommendations in Chapter 17 of this report, the task force consulted with a team of preeminent economists and policy experts, including Dr. Casia Campbell, Dr. William Spriggs, Dr. William A. Darity, Jr., Dr. Thomas Kramer, and A. Kristen, A. Kirsten Mullen. The task force also relied upon its own expertise, the public comments via in-person hearings, telephone or other remote access and email, and the testimony of dozens of witnesses who appeared before the task force. In developing recommendations regarding methodologies for calculating reparations, the task force considered, among numerous other factors, harms to African Americans, especially descendants of persons enslaved in the United States, attributable to the state of California and its local jurisdictions, and the availability of data. In many instances of atrocities, California has not collected data that would allow for precise calculations, and for those areas, the task force recommends, as AB 3121 directs, how the legislature should calculate reparations in drafting and implementing a future state-level reparations scheme. The task force voted to recommend that only those individuals who are able to demonstrate that they are the descendant of either an enslaved African-American in the United States or a free African-American living in the United States prior to 1900 be eligible for monetary reparations. The task force also determined that the state of California, potentially through the recommended new California American Freedmen's Affairs Agency, should take responsibility for assisting any requester in establishing whether they qualify by funding or otherwise handling the tracing and confirmation of this lineage through whatever means necessary. While the data available to the task force and its experts did not separate out descendant status from other racial or ethnic data, the task force generally recommends that the legislature begin to collect data regarding descendant status and when calculating reparations as recommended by the task force, take this data into account in formulating the most accurate amount of needed reparations as possible. The task force also offers specific preliminary estimates for the legislature's consideration regarding losses to African Americans in California due to a. health disparities, b. disproportionate African American mass incarceration and over-policing, c. housing discrimination, and d devaluation of African-American businesses. 
Further, with regard to two other atrocities, unjust property takings by eminent domain and labor discrimination, the task force recommends a method of calculation for such reparations. Although compensation and restitution for particular injuries is a necessary step towards comporting with international standards for reparations, it is not enough. Compensation or restitution for particular injuries alone would not provide a sufficient remedy for the many other long-standing laws and policies and the scope of harm caused by them. Details in chapters 1 through 13 of this report against the whole class of people impacted by those atrocities. For these harms established by the detailed factual record recounted in chapters 1 through 13, cumulative monetary payments must be made. Health harms. The difference in life expectancy between African Americans and white non-Hispanics in California can be interpreted as a cumulative effect of unequal treatment from unequal access to health insurance and health care based on occupational discrimination to discriminatory local zoning that exposes African-American neighborhoods to greater environmental harm. For example, placement of toxic industries in residential neighborhoods, creation of food deserts, as well as explicit and implicit discriminatory behavior of medical personnel from which the state should shield its residents. These discriminatory practices are exacerbated by the state of California's willing complicity in federal redlining policies that created de jure racial segregated living arrangements and the state's unwillingness to meaningfully address occupational discrimination. The task force recommends that the legislature estimate the cost of health differences between African Americans and white non-Hispanic Californians and issue reparations according to that calculation. And portions of this part of the executive summary, including the next section, um, dive deep into some specific number values. I'm going to not get into that minutiae in this reading of the report, but it is all in the report in the executive summary, and I'm sure in much more detail as well in the full report. Mass incarceration and over-policing of African Americans. The quote, war on drugs, began in 1971. Established research shows that although people of all races use and sell illegal drugs at remarkably similar rates, the federal and state governments disproportionately target African Americans for drug-related arrests. To measure racial mass incarceration disparities in the 49 years of the war on drugs from 1971 to 2020, the task force's experts estimated the disproportionate years spent behind bars for African American compared to white non-Hispanic drug offenders and multiplied them with what a California state employee would have earned in a year on average. Since incarcerated persons were forced, unpaid, quote, employees of the state. The task force's experts then added compensation for loss of freedom comparable to the Japanese-American World War II prisoners and arrive at $159,792 per year of disproportionate incarceration in 2020 dollars. Housing discrimination. Nefarious housing discrimination has always existed in the United States, including in California, even before the state's founding in 1850. Individual participants in the housing market discriminated against African American buyers and renters. Local zoning rules enforced segregation. 
and the state allowed this discrimination to occur even though the Supreme Court ruled it unconstitutional. In Buchanan v. Worley, 1917-245, U.S. 60. As a result, as of 2019, a year before the Reparations Task Force was established, African-American Californians controlled far less of the state's average per capita housing value than did white Californians. The task force presents two potential methods to calculate the losses due to housing discrimination. The first calculates all monetary losses due to racial housing discrimination by calculating the average per capita white to African-American homeownership wealth gap in 2019 and compounding interest on that gap until 2020. The second method calculates monetary losses specifically due to redlining. As discussed in Chapter 5, Housing Segregation, redlining is a clear case of state-sanctioned housing discrimination, beginning with the New Deal in 1933 and lasting for 44 years until the Community Reinvestment Act of 1977 formally, although not effectively, sought to combat the persisting effects of redlining. While redlining denied federally insured affordable mortgages to those in African-American neighborhoods based on federal law, California could have insured redlined homes in place of the federal government to address this injustice in a timely fashion. But not only did California not engage in any policies to ameliorate the effects of federal redlining, it embraced redlining policies and other policies discriminating against African-American Californians. Unjust Property Takings As documented in Chapter 5, Housing Segregation, California built its cities over the bones of the African-American neighborhoods that it tore apart through eminent domain, building the highways, cities, and parks that have enabled the state of California to become the fourth or fifth largest economy in the world. The unjust taking of land did more than just seize property. It destroyed communities and forced African-Americans out of their neighborhoods and watering holes. At its peak in 1980, 7.7% of the population in California was black. By 2020, that number dropped to about 5%. In 2018 alone, 75,000 black Americans left the state. The state's more expensive coastal cities alone have shed 275,000 black residents. Due to the voluminous records associated with the state's many eminent domain actions throughout history, the task force and its experts did not have sufficient capacity within the lifespan of the task force to provide a calculation of the harm caused by unjust property takings throughout the state. Nevertheless, the task force's economic expert team explored two potential methods to quantify the damage caused by these actions. Examining the displacement of African-American Californians by the state and its local governments through eminent domain. One method the legislature could undertake would be to calculate the loss in property value experienced by displaced African Americans or descendants. This could be done by examining the market value of the seized property at the time it was taken, subtracting the amount paid to the owner after eminent domain, and adding the increase in property's net value by adding in fair measure of the estimated appreciation to the present day. A second method of estimating loss could measure the compensation due by using the current value of the property seized from African Americans or descendants. These methods for calculating harm are complicated if the property value has declined in value since it was seized, 
or if the seized property is now being used for infrastructure whose value is difficult to quantify. But based on its experts' recommendations, the task force suggests some strategies to assist the legislature in overcoming that hurdle. Devaluation of African American Businesses As detailed in Chapters 10 and 13, discriminatory policies resulted in the decimation and devaluation of African American businesses. Business information results from a combination of factors creating demand for businesses, including the public sector, households, business-to-business transactions, and the entrepreneurial environment, as well as existing rules, regulations, and taxes. But as documented in Chapters 10 and 13, the doors to entrepreneurial opportunity are much more closed to the state's African-American residents than its white ones due to discrimination and its effects including sharp differences in access to capital and equity. While the lack of business data collected by the state of California limited the task force's experts' ability to quantify the harms caused by discrimination against African-American businesses, other available data from the United States Census can be used to approximate some of those harms. Based on its experts' analysis, the task force recommends a method for the legislature to calculate the harms caused by discrimination against African-American businesses based on the expected number of African-American businesses that should exist in California given the state's policies, aggregate household incomes, and demand for public investments, goods, and services. The state of California does not collect information on business establishments by race and does not maintain a database of contractors at the state or local level by race. Instead, the task force's experts reviewed the U.S. Census Bureau's survey of business owners, which provides information about businesses, including information distinguished by race. The most recent data from the Census Survey of Business Owners is from 2012. Though the census only gives a snapshot of differences in business ownership in 2012, it displays the total wealth acquired by African Americans versus white businesses in California, reflecting the cumulative effects of racial inequalities resulting from actions by the state of California. As a result, it provides a guide for measuring the losses to business wealth caused by discrimination. In 2012, the U.S. Census Bureau reported that there were 1,875,847 white, non-Hispanic-owned firms in California, compared to 166,553 African-American, non-Hispanic-owned firms. Given California's population in 2012, the state had a business ownership rate of roughly 806.7 firms per 10,000 white residents and 738.9 per 10,000 African-American residents. The white non-Hispanic-owned firms had total sales receipts or value of shipments totaling around $1.14 trillion, while African-American non-Hispanic-owned firms had about $14 billion. In other words, white-owned firms had total sales receipts or value of shipments 80 times larger than that of African-American-owned firms. Census data show that African-American-owned businesses are not overrepresented in the type of ethnic enclave industries of accommodations and food services or retail sales catering towards an African-American market. So if there were no discriminatory restrictions on access to capital or business equity, that is, if African-American and white entrepreneurs competed on an equal playing field, the industry of African-American and white businesses would be far more similar, reflecting the business opportunities that exist in California. 
For instance, the discrimination documented in this report explains why African-American businesses lag behind white ones in the construction industry, a capital-intensive industry where access to government contracts matters greatly. The history and ongoing effects of residential segregation and redlining further limited opportunities for African-American construction firms in the private sector, highlighting again how discrimination has produced the African-American and white business wealth gap in construction, a trend that reoccurs across nearly every other industry. The task force recommends estimating the effect of discrimination against African-American businesses by implementing an equation that calculates a figure for each state separately based on the general demand environment of state and local government contracting and household income. Controlling for each state allows us to then control for differences in each state's business environment. Then, estimates can incorporate the number of businesses formed and sales and receipts generated on those factors. This is an approach used by many sociologists researching differences in business formation using the business environment. Using this method, the task force experts estimate that African Americans in California were able to create 59,951 fewer firms than African Americans in other states, on average, under the same circumstances, reflecting the disadvantages unique to California. Conclusion Since this list of harms and atrocities is not exhaustive, the total of the estimated losses to African American Californias is not a final estimate of losses, nor Given the task force's determination of eligibility for compensation, is it a recommendation of an amount of reparations payments? Rather, it is an economically conservative initial assessment of what losses, at a minimum, the state of California caused or could have prevented but did not. Further data collection and research will be required to augment these initial loss estimates and the legislature would then have to decide how to translate loss estimates into proposed reparations amounts and make determinations of who would ultimately be eligible to receive those amounts. The task force also recommends that the legislature provide reparations for less quantifiable harms. For example, pain and suffering from generations of discrimination represents real harm experienced by descendants. Also because in some instances, more data and research are required to calculate the just amount of reparations. The task force recommends that the legislature make a substantial initial down payment on reparations to be augmented over time with additional payments as new evidence becomes available. It should be communicated to the public that the substantial initial down payment is the beginning of a conversation about redressing the economic and societal harm of historic injustices, not the end of it. Delay of reparations is, in itself, an injustice that causes more suffering and may ultimately deny justice, especially to the elderly among the harmed. For this reason, the task force recommends prioritizing elderly recipients in the Monetary Reparations Program. Part 5. Policy Recommendations the legislature directed the task force to recommend appropriate remedies in consideration of the task force's findings to address how California laws and policies that continue to disproportionately and negatively affect African Americans as a group and perpetuate the lingering material and psychosocial effects of slavery can be eliminated, to address how the resulting injuries can be reversed, to provide appropriate policies, programs, projects, and recommendations for the purpose of reversing the injuries, 
and to identify any other forms of rehabilitation or restitution to African descendants necessary. AB 3121 thus requires that the task force provide concrete, common sense, and necessary recommendations to end, once and for all, the discriminatory harm and suffering that those descended from enslaved Africans have uniquely endured and continue to experience in every facet of life. In response to the legislature's direction, Part 5 of the report contains policy recommendations tailored to the harms discussed in Chapters 1-13, through 13, with special consideration for African Americans who are descendants of persons enslaved in the United States. In the task force's view, Adoption and implementation of these recommendations is crucial to effectuating AB 3121's purpose and beginning the long overdue process of providing true reparations to African Americans in California. As the legislature recognized in AB 3121, and as part one of this report documented, emancipation from enslavement did not end the badges and incidents of slavery. By all measures, from health to wealth, African Americans as a group, and especially descendants of those enslaved, live with the persistent consequences of this legacy, consequences that include a shorter life expectancy, a vast wealth gap born of stolen labor, political disenfranchisement, mass incarceration, the destruction of African American families, inadequate and biased health care, limited education and employment opportunities, unjust takings of property, redlining, and the destruction of African-American-owned businesses and cultural institutions. Descendants of those who were enslaved have uniquely carried the weight of the harms and atrocities visited upon their ancestors as trauma and loss have passed from generation to generation. As described in chapters 1 through 13, the harms inflicted upon African-Americans have not been incidental or accidental. They have been by design. They are the result of an all-encompassing web of discriminatory laws, regulations, and policies enacted by government. These laws and policies have enabled government officials and private individuals and entities to perpetuate the legacy of slavery by subjecting African Americans as a group to discrimination, exclusion, neglect, and violence in every facet of American life. And there has been no comprehensive effort to disrupt and dismantle institutionalized racism, stop the harm, and redress the specific injuries caused to descendants in the larger African-American community. This is not to say that laws and society have not changed at all, but as Malcolm X expressed, if you stick a knife in my back nine inches and pull it out six inches, there's no progress. If you pull it all the way out, that's not progress. Progress is healing the wound that the blow made. AB 3121 invokes the international standards of remedy for wrongs and injuries caused by the state. In developing its policy recommendations in Part 5, the task force followed the standards embodied in the UN Principles on Reparations. These recommended changes, or substantially similar measures, must be implemented in some form in order for any California reparatory effort to be able to satisfy the International Reparations Framework's requirements that there be both rehabilitation and guarantees of non-repetition. Further, a number of the policies are also intended to provide restitution 
to augment the task force's recommendations for restitution and compensation in Part 4, Chapter 17, Economic Calculations. Policies necessary to achieve rehabilitation while also affording special consideration to descendants should have the scope needed to bring repair to all those who have endured the harms outlined in this report and to ensure that the guarantee of non-repetition for those harms is fully realized. The enormity of the task before the California and nation cannot be overstated. The policies recommended in this report, while wide-ranging, are not exhaustive. They are only a start. The harms to be repaired have been more than 400 years in the making. Their undoing will require ceaseless vigilance and commitment to continually learn and meet the challenges ahead. Time and again, universal policies that have not been specifically directed to stop and repair the harm that continues to afflict African Americans have succeeded only in allowing that harm to continue. Channeling the voices of the hundreds of individuals who testified or offered public comment in task force meetings or who participated in community listening sessions, the task force urges the legislature to ensure an end of the ongoing harms and atrocities experienced by its African Americans. This time must be different. In Part 5 of the report, the task force recommends that the legislature adopt the following policy proposals. Chapter 18, Introduction to the Task Force's Policy Recommendations General Structural Policy Recommendations 1. Create and Fund the California American Freedman Affairs Agency 2. Repeal Proposition 209 3. Mandate Effective Racial Impact Analyses 4. Require Agency Transparency 5. Make legislative findings that build legislative records that reflect the historic and present state of pervasive structural barriers and discrimination against African Americans and support reparative enactments. 6. Transmit the AB 3121 Task Force Report to the President of the United States and the United States Congress. Chapter 19 Policies Addressing Enslavement 1. Enact a resolution affirming the state's protection of descendants of enslaved people and guaranteeing protection of the civil, political, and socio-cultural rights of descendants of enslaved people. 2. Amend the California Constitution to prohibit involuntary servitude. 3. Require payment of fair market value for labor provided by incarcerated persons, whether in jail or prison. 4. Emphasize the rehabilitation in the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation. Number 5. Abolish the death penalty. 6. Prohibit private prisons from benefiting from contracts with CDCR to provide re-entry services to incarcerated or paroled individuals. Chapter 20. Policies Addressing Racial Terror. 1. Advance the study of the intergenerational, direct, and indirect impacts of racism. 2. Establish and fund community wellness centers in African American communities. 3. Fund research to study the mental health issues within California's African American youth population and address rising suicide rates among African American youth. 
Four, expand the membership of the Mental Health Services Oversight and Accountability Commission to include an expert in reducing disparities in mental health care, access, and treatment. Five, fund community-driven solutions to decrease community violence at the family, school, and neighborhood levels in African-American communities. Six, address and remedy discrimination against African-American LGBTQ youth and adults, reduce economic disparities for the African-American LGBTQ population, and reduce disparities in mental health and health care outcomes for African-American LGBTQ youth and adults. 7. Implement procedures to address the overdiagnosis of emotional disturbance disorders, including conduct disorder, in African-American children. 8. Disrupt the mental health crisis and county jail cycle in African-American communities. 9. Create and fund equivalents to the UC Prime Lead ABC program for psychologists, licensed professional counselors, and licensed professional therapists. 10. Eliminate legal protections for peace officers who violate civil or constitutional rights. 11. Recommend abolition of the Qualified Immunity Doctrine to allow access to justice for victims of police violence. Chapter 21. Policies Addressing Political Disenfranchisement 1. Require district-based voting and independent redistricting commissions to safeguard against the dilution of the African-American voting bloc. 2. Increase funding to support the California Department of Justice's enforcement of voting rights in California. 3. Enact legislation aligning with the objectives of AB 2576 and establish separate funding to support educational and civic engagement activities. 4. Provide funding to NGOs whose work focuses on increasing civic engagement among African Americans. 5. Declare Election Day a paid state holiday and provide support to essential workers to increase access to the polls. 6. Remove the barrier of providing identity to vote. 7. Increase jury participation of persons with felony convictions and discourage judges and attorneys from excluding potential jurors solely for having a prior felony conviction. 8. Increase efforts to restore the voting rights of formerly and currently incarcerated persons and provide access to those who are currently incarcerated and eligible to vote. Chapter 22 Policies Addressing Housing Segregation and Unjust Property Takings 1. Prioritize Responsible Development in Communities and Housing Development 2. Enact Policies Overhauling the Housing Industrial Complex 3. Collect Data on Housing Discrimination 4. Provide Anti-Racism Training to Workers in the Housing Field 5. Expand grant funding to community-based organizations to increase home ownership. 6. Provide property tax relief to African Americans, especially descendants, living in formerly redlined neighborhoods who purchase or construct a new home. 7. Provide direct financial assistance to increase home ownership among African Americans, especially descendants, 
through shared appreciation loans and subsidized down payments, mortgages, and homeowners insurance. 8. Require state review and approval of all residential land use ordinances enacted by historically and currently segregated cities and counties. 9. Repeal crime-free housing policies. 10. Increase affordable housing for African American Californians. 11. Provide restitution for racially motivated takings. 12. Provide a right to return for displaced African American Californians. Chapter 23. Policies Addressing Separate and Unequal Education 1. Increase funding to schools to address racial disparities. 2. Fund grants to local educational agencies to address the COVID-19 pandemic's impacts on pre-existing racial disparities in education. 3. Implement systematic review of school discipline data. 4. Improve access to educational opportunities for all incarcerated people. 5. Adopt mandatory curriculum for teacher credentialing and trainings for school personnel and grants for teachers. 6. Employ proven strategies to recruit African American teachers. 7. Require that curriculum at all levels be inclusive and free of bias. 8. Advance the timeline for ethnic studies classes. 9. Adopt a K-12 Black Studies curriculum. 10. Adopt the Freedom School Summer Program. 11. Reduce racial disparities in the STEM fields for African American students. 12. Expand access to career technical education for descendants. 13. Improve access to public schools. 14. Fund free tuition to California public colleges and universities. 15. Eliminate standardized testing for admission to graduate programs in the University of California and California State University systems. 16. Identify and eliminate racial bias and discrimination in statewide K-12 proficiency assessments. Chapter 24. Policies Addressing Racism in Environment and Infrastructure 1. Increase green space access and recreation opportunities in African American communities. 2. Test for and eliminate toxicity in descendant communities. 3. Increase trees in redlined and descendant communities. 4. Develop climate resilience hubs in redlined and descendant communities. 5. Remove lead in drinking water. 6. Prevent highway expansion and mitigate transportation pollution. Chapter 25. Policies Addressing Pathologizing the African American Family 1. Reduce and seek to eliminate racial disparities and the removal of African American children from their homes and families. 2. Reduce the placement of African American children in foster care and increase kinship placements for African American children. 3. Establish and fund early intervention programs that address intimate partner violence IPV, within the African American community. 4. Eliminate interest on past due child support and eliminate back child support debt.
5. Eliminate or reduce charges for phone calls from detention facilities located within the state of California. 6. Address disproportionate homelessness among African American Californians. 7. Address disparities and discrimination associated with substance use recovery services. 8. End the underprotection of African American women and girls. Chapter 26, Policies Addressing Control Over Creative, Cultural, and Intellectual Life. 1. Provide state funding to address disparities in compensation among athletes in the University of California, California State University, and community college systems, and funding to support African American athletes in capitalizing on their name, image, and likeness and intellectual property. 2. Prohibit discrimination based on natural and protective hairstyles in all competitive sports. 3. Identify and remove monuments, plaques, state markers, and memorials, memorializing and preserving Confederate culture. Erect monuments, plaques, and memorials, memorializing and preserving the Reconstruction Era and the African American community. 4. Provide funding to the proposed California American Freedman Affairs Agency specifically for creative, cultural, and intellectual life. 5. Eliminate the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation's practice of banning books. Chapter 27, Policies Addressing Stolen Labor and Hindered Opportunity. 1. Create greater transparency in gubernatorial appointments. 2. Provide grant guaranteed income program for descendants. 3. Eliminate barriers to licensure for people with criminal records. 4. Transform the minimum wage back into a living wage. 5. Advance pay equity through employment transparency and equity in hiring and promotion. 6. Create and fund professional career training. 7. Create or fund apprenticeship grant programs. 8. Fund African-American businesses. 9. Fund African-American banks. Chapter 28. Policies Addressing the Unjust Legal System. 1. Allocate funds to remedy harms and promote opportunity. 2. Eliminate barriers for African-American prospective attorneys by funding legal education and ending discriminatory gatekeeping at the state bar. 3. Prohibit cash bail and mandate that those who are acquitted or exonerated be reimbursed by the entity or entities at fault. 4. Enact enforceable legislation with penalties that dismantles the school-to-prison pipeline and decriminalizes the youth justice system. 5. Amend the Penal Code to clarify and confirm decriminalization of transit and other public disorder offenses. 6. Amend the Penal Code to shift public disorder infractions and low-level crimes outside of law enforcement jurisdiction. 7. Prohibit pretextual traffic and pedestrian stops, probation inquiries, and consent-only searches. 8. Mandate policies and training on bias-free policing. 
Nine, enact legislation that requires the Department of Justice to promulgate model law enforcement policies designed to prevent racial disparities in policing. 10. Repeal three strikes sentencing. 11. Strengthen and expand the Racial Justice Act. 12. Assess and remedy racially biased treatment of African American adults and juveniles in custody in county jails, state prisons, juvenile halls, and youth camps. 13. Accelerate scheduled closures of identified California state prisons and close 10 prisons over the next five years with financial savings redirected to the California American Freedman Affairs Agency. Chapter 29, Policies Addressing Mental and Physical Harm and Neglect. 1. Address health inequities among African-American Californians by funding the California Health Equity and Racial Justice Fund. 2. Improve health insurance coverage. 3. Evaluate the efficacy of health care laws, including recent enactments. 4. Address anti-black discrimination in health care. 5. Mandate standardized data collection. 6. Provide medical social workers health care advocates. 7. Improve diversity among clinical trial participants. 8. Remedy the higher rates of injury and death among African American mothers and infants. 9. Meet the health needs of African American elders. 10. Remedy disparities in oral health care. 11. Fix racially biased algorithms and medical artificial intelligence in healthcare. 12. Fund and expand the UC Prime Lead ABC program to be available at all UC medical campuses. 13. Create and fund equivalents to the UC Prime Lead ABC program for psychologists, licensed professional counselors, and licensed professional therapists. 14. Permanently fund the California Medicine Scholars Program and create and fund equivalent pathway programs for students in the CSU and UC systems. 15. Review and prevent racially biased disciplinary practices by the Medical Board of California. 16. Address food injustice. Chapter 30. Policies addressing the wealth gap. 1. Fund and conduct a study to calculate the overall racial wealth gap in California. 2. Encourage the federal government to use the national racial wealth gap to determine federal-level reparations. Part 6. Measuring the Baseline for Racial Justice Act Implementation 31. California Prosecutorial and Judicial Race Data Survey Summary of Responses AB 2542, the California Racial Justice Act of 2020, Act or RGA, RJA, codified in Section 745 of the California Penal Code, prohibits California through any criminal prosecutor acting in the name of the people or the state from seeking or obtaining criminal conviction or from imposing a sentence based upon race, ethnicity, or national origin. The Act allows an accused person to seek dismissal of pending charges or vacatur of conviction or sentence 
through a claim alleging that a charge, conviction, or sentence was tainted by racial bias. The act originally applied prospectively to cases in which judgment had not been entered prior to January 1, 2021. However, AB 256, the Racial Justice Act for All, enacted in 2022, extended the act's protections to apply retroactively to most cases in which judgment was entered before January 1, 2021. The Racial Justice Act offers different pathways to demonstrating a violation. Some involve showing overt bias or animus, such as use of discriminatory language by a courtroom actor. Others allow for claims that arise from implicit bias. A central purpose of the act was to respond to McCleskey v. Kemp, 1987, 481-279, 312-313, in which the U.S. Supreme Court accepted racial disparities as, quote, an inevitable part of our criminal justice system, and held that these disparities generally do not violate the Constitution in the absence of proof of discriminatory intent. With the Racial Justice Act, California rejected the acceptance of racial disparities and sought to begin the process of reforming our unjust legal system. Under the act, the law is violated when an accused person has been charged with or convicted of a more serious offense than similarly situated persons of other races, ethnicities, or national origins who commit similar offenses, and the evidence establishes that the prosecution more frequently sought or obtained convictions for more serious offenses against people who share the accused person's race, ethnicity, or national origin. The Act similarly forbids sentencing disparities arising from race, ethnicity, or nationality, including that of victims. Racial Justice Act violations can occur at a number of different decision points, including the decision regarding which charges to bring, the convictions obtained, and in sentencing where claims of violations involve comparisons to the treatment of others, information about an accused individual's race, the race of the complainant or victim, and the race of those in comparable cases can be critical to establishing a prima facie case that violation has occurred. A lack of data on race in com comparable cases can severely limit the ability of an accused or convicted person to support claims of racial bias. The same is true when agencies do not track or share data on key decisions made by the prosecutor, judge, or jury in comparable cases. This lack of critical information impedes implementation and diminishes the efficacy of the Racial Justice Act. Without access to data, the promise of the Act has the potential to ring hollow for many. Gauging the availability of RJA relevant data is thus critical to understanding the landscape for potential claims that may be raised under the Act. In order to establish a baseline regarding the collection of RJA relevant data, the AB 3121 Reparations Task Force requested that the California Department of Justice Research Center DOJRC, survey all 58 California Superior Courts and District Attorney's Offices, as well as select group of 11 of the largest City Attorney Offices, regarding what data elements their agencies regularly collect when dealing with criminal cases. The 126 responding criminal justice agencies and courts completed an online questionnaire pertaining to data collected and maintained by their agency, with a focus on what racial data the agencies hold, as well as data on factors that may involve prosecutorial or judicial discretion. Chapter 31 of the task force's report describes and summarizes the findings. Notably, 
the DOJRC conducted the survey prior to the retroactive application of the Act and prior to implementation of AB 2418-2021-2022, the Justice Data Accountability and Transparency Act. The latter statute sought to mandate that agencies collect and transmit spe specified data, including data on the race of accused persons and victims, to the Department of Justice. These data collected and transmission requirements were set to commence in 2027. However, AB 2418 conditioned the operation of its provisions upon an adequate appropriation by the legislature. As of the time of this report's issuance, there has not been an appropriation to this effect. As set forth in Part 5, the task force's recommendations to the legislature include full funding of AB 2418 and any further data collection, extraction, analysis, and dissemination that is needed for the Racial Justice Act to be implemented and applied without limitation. An unfunded or otherwise unfulfilled mandate will gravely undermine the law and risk the persistence of unacceptable racial bias in the criminal legal system. Overall, in the absence of requirements like those set forth in AB 2418, there appears to be a large amount of discretion and likewise variability in what data elements are collected across California District Attorney's Offices, Superior Courts, and Select City Attorney's Offices, and between counties. This lack of consistency and absence of data on key variables could present substantial challenges to presenting and evaluating claims of racial discrimination in the criminal justice system, and could increase the difficulty of sustaining claims of Racial Justice Act violations in some California counties more than others. Part 7, Listening to the Community Chapter 32 The task force engaged the Ralph J. Bunch Center at the University of California, Los Angeles, to design and implement a plan in which it could facilitate the collection and documenting of important community perspectives independent of the formal meetings of the task force through one, holding community listening sessions and engaging with at least 867 people during 2022. Two, collecting seven oral histories and 46 personal testimonies. And three, administering two statewide surveys. The first survey comprised a representative sample of all Californians with 2,499 respondents. The second sample, with 1,934 respondents, was over 90% African American and reached through connections to listening sessions, participants. The fundamental goal of this work was to give the community voice in the ongoing statewide conversation concerning reparations to create space for communities to express their concerns, desires, wishes, and experiences, and to provide the task force and legislature with additional community input as it explored and deliberated reparations proposals. Through this multi-pronged approach to community engagement, the Bunch Center focused its data collection on four areas deemed important by the task force. One identifying forms of race-based harm through those who experienced it. Two, gauging support for reparations. Three, determining support for different types of reparations. And four, determining perspectives from the wider impacted community regarding eligibility for reparations. An analysis of the results of the community listening sessions, personal testimonies, oral histories, and statewide surveys revealed the following.
There are five major types of racially driven harm that communities consistently identified. Study participants named a lack of educational opportunity, discriminatory policing and law enforcement, economic disenfranchisement, housing inequality, and healthcare disparities most often when asked about racially driven harms that black people experience. The participants also consistently cited the following harms. Food inaccessibility, employment and workplace disparities, inadequate business support infrastructure, the cycle of municipal disinvestment in black neighborhoods, and displacement. There is broad community support for reparations. The survey found that over 60% of Californians support some form of reparations, including financial compensation, community investments, educational opportunities, investments for black businesses and organizations, and land and property ownership. Furthermore, community listening session participants overwhelmingly supported reparations initiatives. While a majority of Californians support reparations measures, they are divided on which types should be used. The survey queried respondents on the specific forms of reparations to be applied and found that California residents are largely in support of three primary types of reparations measures. Direct cash payments, 66% of respondents. Monetary reparations without cash measures, 77% and non-monetary reparations such as an apology or monuments, 73%. Support was consistently highest for remedies incorporating monetary measures, but without direct cash payments, among all Californians, including African American participants. The community listening sessions produced similar results except that direct cash payments were the most frequently mentioned form of reparations, followed by other monetary measures. The opinions about who should be eligible for reparations differed across the statewide sample, the community listening session sample, and African American residents in the statewide sample. A plurality of respondents in the statewide sample supported reparations for all black people, 30%, followed closely by support for lineage-based reparations, 29%. Lineage-based reparations refers to people who are descendants of those enslaved in the U.S., in the statewide sample, 24% believe that reparations should be for those black people who experience race-based discrimination. On the other hand, 67% of respondents in the community listening session sample supported reparations for people who descended from those enslaved in the U.S., lineage-based, while 18% supported reparations for all black people. Black Californians were in the middle of responses when compared to both the overall statewide and community listening session samples. Black Californians indicate nearly equal support for lineage-based, 40%, and for reparations for all black residents, 39%. The task force urges the legislature in formulating a state reparations statute or program to ensure that the widest possible community engagement takes place in order to ensure that what is enacted in carrying out the recommendations of this report reflect the input of the community intended to be served by this initiative. Part 8. Recommendations for Educating the Public Chapter 33. Educating the Public in Responses to Questions 
In enacting AB 3121, the legislature directed the task force to recommend appropriate ways to educate the California public regarding the task force's findings. To achieve this goal, the task force consulted academic experts to develop a concept for educating students of all ages and backgrounds, as well as the public in general, through a curriculum designed to make the task force's work accessible. The task force recommends that the legislature adopt the concepts discussed in Chapter 33 of this report, which the task force developed with the support of these experts, as a methodology for adopting a standard curriculum centered on the task force's findings and recommendations. The task force further recommends that the legislature fund the implementation of age-appropriate curricula across all grade levels, as well as the delivery of those curricula in schools across California. The legislature should also create public education fund specifically dedicated to educating the public about African-American history and support the initial and ongoing education about the task force's findings. Additionally, in order to facilitate ongoing conversations in communities across California following the publication of this report, the task force has developed materials included within Chapter 33 that will help answer some potential questions people may have about reparations. These questions are expected to come from both those who support reparations but want to better understand their justification, and those who might be unaware of the need for or purpose of reparations. Part 9, Key Cases and Statuses Through its enactment of AB 3121, the legislature charged a task force with compiling, quote, the federal and state laws that discriminated against formerly enslaved Africans and their descendants from 1868 to the present, and identifying how California laws and policies that continue to disproportionately and negatively affect African Americans as a group and perpetuate the lingering material and psychological effects of slavery can be eliminated. Part 9 of the report contains a legal compendium that catalogs, summarizes, and memorializes for the public the many state and federal laws that have perpetuated discrimination against African Americans in California, as well as some cases and laws that advance the rights of African Americans by setting aside those racist laws and policies. Due to the myriad ways in which laws and cases have created and nurtured this system of subjugation, the compendium is illustrative, not exhaustive. Nevertheless, it is intended to provide a comprehensive documentation of the centuries-long struggle in California, dating back to the earliest years of statehood, for personhood, equality, and equity. And except for an additional 18 pages of footnotes, just for the executive summary, that concludes this reading of the executive summary. Again, this episode was part three the executive summary of the California Reparations Report. And that'll wrap up this episode of You Can't Be Neutral. You can find all the back episodes at youcan'tbeneutral.com. You can follow on Twitter at YCBneutral. And you can listen to this podcast and all my podcasts playing 24-7 at movingtrainradio.com. <laughs>